Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Funky Marketing Show. This is the show where I host people who are doing something that I call Funky Marketing. Sometimes uh, that's in line with, uh, with what everybody else is doing. Sometimes it's a little bit different, but I think like funky marketing is definitely marketing being done differently. And if some things are shit, it's okay to name them as shit, right? So today I have the pleasure to, uh, to be joined by, by Mike Vinette, who, I mean, you probably know him if you have been on, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, if you are now on Twitter, you probably know who, who Mike is. One of the guys from, uh, if I'm not wrong, from Manchester that are loud and speak their words out. And, uh, you know, he's not on LinkedIn anymore after be- building 19K audience. He has built audience on YouTube as well. I mean, now he's building a community and we're going to talk about all those things. <music> Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing? All right. You good? Yeah, all is great. How it is over there? Uh, fine. Yeah, good. Quiet today. Uh, we've got a, we've got the studio, so we're making some content with some clients in a bit later on today. But it's quiet at the moment. Got animators working and script writers working. So busy. Good busy. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good to hear. So. Um, I will, I will start this with a, with a thing that, you know, happened this morning and it's kind of interesting because like right now in Serbia, like in seven days, four or five different brands were, you know, let's call it canceled by the audience because they tried yeah. to do something different or they, they did wrong by, you know, by provoking uh, women rights or different kind of things. Um, there was a recipe for the perfect wife, the, the book that uh, the, the brand was promoting. So that was kind of interesting because they just posted the recipe. They didn't say that it was from the book. And, right. you know, so it, how did that it, go? I'm guessing that went badly, badly wrong. Yeah, bas- basically, you know, the people went to the, the brand, said that, you know, you need to read the book because the book yeah. is all about that. Then they went to the author the, and told her, you know, how are things going? Then she demanded an excuse from the brand. The brand gave an excuse, but they didn't excuse themselves. They said, basically, you need to read the book to understand it. So they went again to the author and then it goes on and on and on. And, you know, it seems like it's not stopping anytime soon. But then I guess, you know, those all events are causing uh, basically the avalanche and it's growing because there were... Extreme Intimo, who was promoting, I don't know, talking about the stuff for a, for a large size women, and they don't have uh, the proper, uh, you know, wear for, for them. And then yeah. it goes, you understand what it is. So I tried to kind of ask people, do you think that, uh, I don't know if you remember that commercial from Aston Martin, 
when it was like yeah. the, the the women next to the uh, I don't know what it was in a kitchen something like that like saying kitchen, you yeah. know you're not the first but do you really care and uh, I posted that that's not, that that's visual. not a real campaign though is it I don't think that's a real campaign yeah that was that was just you know a, a visual back in the days yeah, yeah. going for for print I think but uh, you know but what happens is that I ask people what do you think will that be approved today. And they started responding, and then LinkedIn basically deleted the post. They say basically it's, well, it doesn't go. It goes against their adult standards. Yeah, well, it's it's okay. a strange platform now, LinkedIn, because you can report things, you can be offended on other people's behalf, and if you've got enough things against your account, and it can be anybody could just report you for anything. And I think the problem yeah. with social media and online is people now report not things that are sort of breaking the law. They report other people's opinions that they don't agree with, which is quite a dangerous precedent, I think, that they are setting. Um, and then obviously, it's a lot of the time, things are flagged if you use particular words. So it's it's mad, really, that you can talk about something that's marketing, whether you believe marketing's right or wrong, and then get that post removed from LinkedIn. One of the creators of views of my own uh, Dan Kelsall, he um, had a post removed um, recently as well, and he was shadow banned. And that was a comment on his own company posts, and that's the reason why I got banned as well. So it's <laughs> it's crazy, really. But I but equally, I do get it because there needs to be something in place to stop people doing things that break that break laws. Let's just say that. But yeah. if it's not something that breaks a law and it's just a different opinion, I think it's it's unusual and wrong potentially to then ban someone from a platform for that because there is an audience for that type of opinion. It's not a, a rogue opinion of, that nobody else agrees with and we can all universally say that's wrong. Yes, there are loads of things I think are wrong, but should you be able to get people permanently removed that say anything that goes against that? And I, I don't think you should be able to, in my honest opinion. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And, you know, when I always like to think, okay, sure, you always, as a, as a brand, as a company, you need to say, you know, that uh, there will be winners and there will be losers. And when you get to that, when you change people's opinion, then you're going to piss someone off because it goes against what they're used to what they think yeah. and how they acknowledge things. Yeah, and, and the best marketing divides opinion, I believe. Like the best yeah. marketing splits opinion and it causes that debate and that interaction and that engagement and stuff like that. You know, if you did a marketing campaign that universally appealed to everybody and potentially didn't target anybody or challenge something or anything like that, and um, no one would notice it it wouldn't stand out because everything would just become bland. Now, there's different ways of doing that. There's classy ways of doing it. There's, there's wrong ways of doing it. But essentially, you want to alienate people that you never want to work with and you want to attract the people that understand your tone of voice, your vibe, what you're about, culture, morals, whatever it might be, principles. So if you want to succeed, I feel like you are identifying your niche and then marketing to them. A, in the places that they go to, but also in a way that they want to and are likely to respond to and it will get them to do what you want them to do next. So that is, that is the best marketing, in my opinion. Just don't yeah, be I, to I, to I totally agree. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what you're doing for yourself, what I'm doing for myself, it doesn't mean that we will do the same for, for a client. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's something I get. I, we get that because I've got a content marketing business as well called Iron Productions. Quite often, clients see my YouTube content, get in touch, ask if we make my, make content um, for businesses. But I would say a good proportion of people, some love it. They want it to be, you know, uh, near the knuckle, a bit sort of um, fun or a bit, you know, mildly offensive. But a majority of people say but we don't want it to be like your content that when you do entrepreneur bingo or any of your might win it content as if like that's the only content we can make you know we've built audiences on different platforms for so many different companies and um, we've made content for so many different brands that you know it isn't just one size fits all when it comes to making content it's what what will resonate with um your ideal client essentially yeah, that, that's it. I mean, if, if I'm swearing, it doesn't mean that you are doing the same and I'm going to do the same for you. That's Yeah, well, what's kinda... well, just, take, just take LinkedIn as an example, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. so, some of LinkedIn's top voices, some of LinkedIn's top voices that have been used in adverts for LinkedIn and have been used to showcase LinkedIn and why it's such an inclusive and diverse and brilliant platform for network and business, we make their content or we make content for them, yet... The person that has that business that makes that content for these people is banned on that platform. It's quite, it's quite a strange scenario where some of the content that gets credited and people say is brilliant on that platform um, by LinkedIn to the point where they want to showcase these uh, content creators. That's our, that, that's the stuff that we've helped produce or we've made, made or we've written or we've filmed or edited, we've created. Yet they don't allow me on that platform, which is mad. Yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, there were kind of some different scenarios, like uh, the guy who is CEO of the Lamb List, but that was something else because they had this tool that is basically scrapping the emails. He sold yeah. the company, but they still banned him because he was the, you know, the guy who came up with that. Yeah, yeah. So, but eventually he came back first as just G. Now I see he has a full name and surname. So maybe some things are changed. Yeah, but, so I've, I've tried know. to come back with my real name. So Mike Winnet was a character I created when I was being like a parody business guru. And I was just doing posts almost like um, parodying the self-appointed um, business gurus. So when it was like, I'm the number one UK's motivational speaker, I would be the UK's number one demotivational speaker. And I would just parody their style of writing, how they market themselves, and then pick apart um, how they gain credibility, how they establish authority. And I just broke down the sort of systems and processes they used. Um, so that's what I used to do. So Mike Winnett was just a character for this role. Um, weirdly, it stuck when people started to ask me to do podcasts in that fake name and I've just kept it. But I've tried to come back to LinkedIn with my real name. And um, I lasted five days before either it's flagged on their systems i don't know if that's possible or somebody is maliciously reporting me which when you think about it now could easily be a competitor a competitor sees me come on the platform my content usually does good views so it would be better if i wasn't there so i think people are using the rules and processes in place on linkedin maliciously to damage people and that isn't fair game really i don't think 
it's like doing a targeted campaign against a competitor and giving them one star reviews on um trust pilot or stuff like that it's a bit of a shit bit of a shit move if you're doing that you're obviously not busy enough yeah yeah definitely i mean look i've been there like the guy who i've been working with as a colleague and i still think he's one of the best copywriters ever when he left the company we all left the company after he did eventually but he created a page called demotivation and he's taking some parts that I recognize from, you know, us hanging out, those kind of stuff. He's taking only the part that he likes and he reverses it and posts it on the page. So yeah. I know how it feels when somebody is using the parts and, you know, not to get, uh, you know, people to think differently or to kind of make laugh of the things that you are doing wrong, but yeah. just, you know, turning the things around. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. It's right. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, so I've tried to come back on LinkedIn. I lasted five days. Uh, you know, it's, I don't, for whatever reason, I've really annoyed somebody quite high up, but the irony being that I make content for some of the people that LinkedIn highlight as being some of the best content creators on that platform, which is mad, but yeah, mad but well, I mean, I mean, even the, the worst thing has, has happened, right? I mean, it's just, it is what it is. We can we can fight it, but sometimes you know the platform yeah, is the one that has the less say. Losing a ninety thousand account on a platform that you use for lead generation is a bit of a wounder for any business. Like I don't care what anybody yeah. says about you know putting your eggs in different baskets. Yes, but if they take your most successful biggest basket away from you, you're going to feel the pinch for a few months, and that's what's happened really. Um, it could have really impacted our business. Luckily, I had grown audiences on other platforms that I could sort of a little bit better than a lot of people, but lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, look, if you if you actually export the context and everything, it's still it's not the same. It's a different platform. You are approaching them from a from an email or somewhere else. It's still a bit different. Yeah. You will lose a bunch of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it did affect business, you know, but it's made me get better at other stuff. So what post was it that got you banned? It wasn't a post. It was actually an animation for uh, a company called I Am Productions. Um, we make animated explainer videos. And the person that created that post is called Jack. And Jack asked the question, which one in this animation do you think I am? And in that animation, there was an elf playing elf-like computer games. And I said, are you the one watching elf porn? That was the comment that somebody else reported as harassment and bullying of Jack, who works in my office. He's sat over there. So I don't know how I can harass and bully somebody that's never actually said they felt harassed or bullied on a platform that's never reported it on my own company post. And that's justification to remove my account permanently and I lose 90,000 followers. So I think yeah. there's something else involved or something else at play. Whether it be a totting up, whether it be a totting up of other people that have complained about my content when I was doing like the entrepreneur stuff, when I was doing entrepreneur bingo, when I was getting blank books to number one on Amazon and then exposing how easy that was to do. Like there's lots of things that people could have been bothered by, but that was the actual comment on a post by my own company. Um, yeah, bas basically, but, basically, yeah, it's like it was the avalanche. Right, and that yeah, post yeah. was probably the, the last, the last but, drop. But it, it goes to show it's their platform, their rules. If you build your house on somebody else's land, they can change yeah. the rules at any point and take it away from you. So be smart. Make sure you put your mailing list. 
try and get your own platform. Make make it so your audience doesn't think, I wonder what Mike's up to. I'm going to go on Instagram to find out or I'm going to go on um, LinkedIn to find out. You want it to be like, I want to go on his official website or I want to go, you know, where his audience is held outside of all these things. And that's why I started using my own for because there's so many people and messages I used to get specifically about business because obviously I, I grew my last business, got 340 clients, sold it after two and a half years for 8 million. Most people want proper business people want to know that story and always ask me, how can we do it? Do you do mentoring? Do you do business consultancy? No, I don't do any of those things. But for that type of content, I've now got an own separate group called views of my own dot social. And that's why I did it. So it's away from people that are offended that if you swear about marketing or you call different things out or you tell people different things, because unfortunately there is that uh, there is an easily exploited rule on LinkedIn that allows you to do that and target individuals. So, yeah, but, but I, I think look, looking at, uh, at you, at Dan, also Leah, I think like you guys, uh, often go a little bit not over the edge, but walk towards the edge when it comes to the way you communicate, the way you do things. And I guess it's just, you know, the way you are offline as well. Yeah. So speaking your mind out, going over there and I like it, but it seems, you know, not many people are ready to do that. And most of all the people that are, you know, commenting, posting on social media, is just a different version of themselves. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting one this like authenticity and you know like be the real you and stuff like that because it is to a degree but equally you've also got to realize that you have to slightly change your message depending on the audience as well so if you've got one gear that's also dangerous you need to so be authentic but be smart enough to realize you can be like a toned down version of yourself to a particular audience or or an exaggerating version of yourself to a, a different audience that's still being authentic to a degree. I hate that word, by the way, but it's also being smart with your audience. You're not going to talk to, in a school or college, the way I talk, if I'm ever asked to talk to, say, students about growing an audience on YouTube and stuff like that, how I talk to them would be very different if I was talking to business owners about that because of the age and stuff like that. So the way you talk about things and explain things is very different. But... Um, yeah, so you have to kind of change your tone of voice for different platforms. and But equally, it's always with your ideal client in mind or what you want to achieve from that piece of content or video, whatever it might be. So, Yeah, so let's get into a couple of things that you have done um, that actually made you build the audience mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. What have you been doing differently? Okay, because you've been doing things differently. And, you know, if we ask somebody from, I don't know, like Juliana Jackson, our mutual friend, if you ask her, she has done also some things differently. And there are only a couple of people that are, you know, looking at the platform a bit different than all the others are. Yeah, so when I first started, so I, I never had any social media at all, um, apart from LinkedIn until 2018 mm -hmm. or 17. So I've never had Facebook, never been on Instagram, never had anything weirdly i only got social media after i sold my business so i never knew there was like business gurus and people like gary v or grant cardone tyler was i've never heard of any of these people because i was too busy actually working and executing my business strategy i was lucky enough to then grow that and sell that um, pretty quickly 
But how I grew that business was LinkedIn. And I gained 340 corporate clients in two and a half years and then sold that business for 8 million, all based on the content that I put out. So what I did was, apart from obviously a, um, a business that offered a real alternative. So back in them days, I used to make uh, training content for people in corporate businesses to help train their staff, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be like cybersecurity awareness, working at heights, how to upsell when you're at the till, if you're in retail, lots of different topics. But essentially we made content that big corporates would take from our platform and use it to train their staff. So I just identified things that I didn't like in the industry that I worked in. And that could be a, about <coughs> the actual product that I made. Um, I actually um identified things that i didn't like in terms of the contracts involved the quality of content that was involved and i just made humorous observations and was self-deprecating about those certain things so i would say e-learning is shit, and i know because i make it for a living i would talk like that and talk down about my product my industry and sector at no point was i pleased by my stuff and because I just made lots of content like that, people found it funny or people found it unusual. And what happened was other people in that industry disagreed with what I was saying. So I would get the usual, you're not going to be here in three months. You can't market your business like that. But what I was deliberately doing is I'd never met anybody in my life that had gone after doing a three hour e-learning course. That was brilliant. That e-learning course was absolutely amazing. I can't wait for the next one. Nobody ever said that. So essentially, e-learning is shit. If you can make it a tiny bit less shit than everyone's expecting, you've won. So that yeah. was how we positioned our product, really. It was almost like e-learning's crap, and we know because we make it for a living. We used to say that e-learning isn't the best form of learning. It's better to learn on the job and through experiences and trial and error, which is true. But what e-learning is good for is introducing concepts and ideas. And we used to call it pre-learning. So why not do a five-minute module or five-minute animated explainer video before you do your main learning? So then when everyone comes to the classroom or everyone turns up to their face-to-face -face training, they understand some of the basic concepts and the language. And you've almost got like a minimal experience or knowledge then. And equally, we just looked at what... Uh, how do people learn in real life? If I want to know anything in real life, I go to two places, Google or YouTube. Newsflash, that is where your ideal client goes, by the way. When they've got a problem that you solve, they will go to Google to try and find an answer quickly, or they'll go to YouTube and try and find an answer quickly. So if you've not got video content that answers the questions your ideal client asks in the places they search for answers, you're fucked as a business. Like yeah. it's so stupid that you're not, that you don't do that. You're basically marketing your business with one anti-value back because every piece of content you then make becomes a pitch perfect salesperson. So that's what I did. I made video content that would help or add value or solve common questions or problems around the products and industry that I worked in. So then whenever somebody searched for that, up I'd pop, my face would be recognizable. I'd help you. I'd do it in a humorous way. 
and it would either resonate with you or not. If it didn't, you wouldn't like our content anyway. If it did, unbeknown to me, you've already, um, you've already then gone, I like this person, I like how he sounds. And yes, I also think e-learning is boring. I want to know why, how you're going to make it not boring. So just by doing that, I was the only salesperson in that business. So for the first 18 months, it was hard. As soon as I hit that 18 months, sort of, well, maybe between 12 and 18 months tipping point, I had so much content out there that people were seeing and sharing because that was a, a valuable part of it, that anybody that spoke to me would say, ah, oh, I've seen your video on X and you helped us achieve Y or you, whatever. Can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? So essentially I had scaled our sales team without having to take any more staff on and it was just me multiplied but i was only talking if you think of it as the video as a person i was only talking to pre-qualified ideal client that wanted to know the answer to a particular problem that i solved so that's how that's how i use content marketing on linkedin so 340 clients um and then eight million pound sale. That was it. And yeah, that's kind sounds, of now what good. I do. And, and I didn't just do it once. I then took the same concept and then built a completely different audience on YouTube. When I've got the Mike Winnit channel, the Contrapreneur channel, that's up to like 86,000 followers. I've not even posted a video there for eight months. I got a sale yesterday, two and a half grand sale for an animated explainer video because they'd seen a video made in 2019. Because the same problems that your ideal client has got today will be the same problem that your next ideal client, that isn't your ideal client yet, is going to have in six months' time or 12 months' time. So that's how it works. So, um, yeah, so I still get thousands of views on content I made ages ago. But the problem with most people's marketing online, I believe, especially on platforms, is they're told this, you need to, it's frequency, you need to be in front of people all the time. You need to, um, it's consistency. That is disposable content. Twitter to me is like disposable content. Nobody's searching for my tweet in two months' time, three months' time, four months' time. So really, that's just for viral, being viral or being in front of people every so often. The actual content that makes me money is video content that is on YouTube that ranks when you search on Google. Um, and then you can reuse that content as well. So you can put that in frequently asked questions on your website. You can embed it in blogs. You can put it on landing pages. You can, there's loads of things you can do with it. Put it on your featured content on LinkedIn. Put it on your featured content. It's got the same piece of content you can use 14 different ways. And it sits there and is only seen by your ideal client. Like content marketing is like the secret. And every time you make a well thought out video that answers one of those questions, that is, you get the compound effect. So like say my YouTube channel now, I think it's on, I don't know. I've not, I've made less than a hundred videos on my YouTube channel and I've got like almost 90,000 followers. But yeah, you, hit, can... you hit the nail with, with these things, you know, like entrepreneur stuff, uh, calling out, actually breaking down the fact how some people are actually, you know, cheaters or do things differently. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you call out, call out some names, you call out some names that, uh, that people know because they are, over advertising themselves let's call it like that yeah but the, that was never my um that was never my intention 
It wasn't a case of like, I'm going to do this and this is going to do well. I just made content that was interesting. The YouTube channel yeah. wasn't a business decision. I mean, my personal YouTube channel. It was just, I've made 8 million quid. I don't really know what to do with the money. I'm going to go and search for experts to tell me what to do with the money. And then what I found was a lot of these experts that, claim, that tell you how to scale your business to seven figures and make 100,000 a year through um, affiliate marketing or dropshipping or whatever it might be, I realized after doing a bit of due diligence and research that none of these people had actually achieved the thing that they were selling in their course. They made their money for selling courses to people. So I called contrepreneurs were just selling dreams to entrepreneurs. And that's all I did. So I just thought, fuck it. I will pay for some of these courses, do some of the courses, and then just record my actual success or failures and see how closely it mirrors what my projected results were from the expert. And guess what? For a guy that knows how to grow sale a business, attract clients and get an eight million pound sale, I couldn't reach six figures in 90 days doing Ty Lopez's affiliate marketing course or and I think I'm a good indicator of whether a course would be good or not because I wasn't working, mm -hmm. so I could give it 100%. So that's what I did. And I just recorded my journey, and it weirdly resonated with a big audience, biggish audience anyway. So Yeah, because I think lots of people are were trying to do what you were doing. So, you know, they get, they seeing the commercials, they see that as a way out or way well, you in. You always think, what if, don't you? Things. Like it could yeah, be a 1% yeah. chance. So I just thought, like, and there was part of me that thought one or two things will happen. Either it doesn't work and it might stop other people being scammed. And if it's popular, then I could potentially get the ad revenue to recover some of the costs I've spent. There's that way of looking at it. And then the second one was, it does work. Brilliant. I've made loads of money. I'm now earning <laughs> 6 million pounds a year from all these different courses. So in my mind, it was... When you have money over to these gurus, you either win or lose, right? I felt like I would either win and not lose as bad. That was the actual sort of business like thought process behind doing it. What I didn't expect is that it would end up with me meeting Gary Vee, him inviting me to come to his office, Netflix then stealing that entrepreneur formula from me and then creating their own episode. I didn't expect it to give me a blank book that got to number one on the business charts and that get covered by the news in australia lots of things have happened off the back of me making content that probably are interesting to some people but that wasn't my intention i just did things i was interested in because i thought it would interest other people if they knew the formula that people use to market to them sell to them and then what people did to also um, create credibility and authority fake credibility and authority in most cases yeah so, that, so was that was my channel yeah i'm looking at so youtube basically you you were a person that was speaking what other people were thinking because you were actually doing those things and you saw the floods you saw how it is then you basically were the voice of those people but then when you actually sold the business and got into different courses to try it out to see also you were the one who is basically preventing them from spending their money from wasting their money or something that that's not yeah, working. I've had a lot of legal trouble. I've had a lot of legal trouble with my uh, YouTube channel. So I've just spent four and a half grand between four and four and a half grand on legal fees in December. Because what you need to remember is 
while these platforms say they don't like scamming and they don't like people that promise unrealistic results, like let's be honest, if you've got a course that says it's going to create millionaires, but the stats for millionaires in the world is one in every 500, you've got a course that works 0.2% of the time, right? In any other industry, if you had if you had a product that works 0.2% of the time, it'd probably get pulled from the shelves for not being very good, right? We wouldn't accept it in anything else, but because it's an unregulated industry, people can say what they want. They don't even have to get real testimonials. It's very easy to manipulate and fake and create a minimal viable product, promise the world, do targeted ads on Facebook to the absolute, like people that have got no hope of achieving these things. It, uh, Dan Priestley said to me once, it's easier to take somebody from good to great than it is to take somebody with no actual skills or experience to good. That journey is harder for anybody. So I don't know how somebody that's never run their own business, has never imported goods, doesn't know anything, is all of a sudden going to buy a course from a guy they've never heard from, heard of before, and then within a week earn six figures of salary. Like, just think of that logically. And then apply that to anything else in the world. So if, and this is Tiger Woods, and this is Tiger Woods, who we'd all acknowledge as being probably one of the greatest uh, golf players of all time. If he released a course with a targeted ad to you on Facebook that said, Tiger Woods um, golf course, go from never picking up a club to competing in the PGA Tour in just 90 days, cost 2000 you would laugh at that, wouldn't you? Because logic would tell you, how the fuck am I going to achieve that? But when it comes to business or entrepreneurship, weirdly, that logic goes out the window for a lot of people, right? And I do not know why, because being the top level like entrepreneur and as successful as these are claiming they could make you from their course is for the top 1%. Entrepreneurism is like, entrepreneurship is like a sport. You need to have experience and done different things and try different things and you learn things. And it's not a simple copy and paste these next 16 steps and you'll achieve this. So there's that that bothered me. But unfortunately, most people don't want to hear that. And by the nature of what you're searching online and the questions you are asking, you're only as good as the questions you ask. If you're searching, how can I make a million pounds in six months? By nature of asking the question, you're probably not cut out for it, number one, and you're definitely not going to do it, number two. But if you're searching those questions, you're exactly the type of person that they want to sell <laughs> yeah. to. So, and then that becomes your reality. So, um, when I say reality is in like, you are just then stuck bouncing from course. I know people that have bought seven or eight different courses. It's like, why didn't you just go and work in a startup for two years or a year? Learn business and get paid rather than not learn business and pay to get scammed. It's, it's not hard. That's my recommendation for anybody. Like, go and work in a startup for a year or two years. If that, if you want to run your own business or escape the rat race or do financial freedom, go and work in a startup. That's yeah, it. Because you're going to do so many like different stuff. Service for business people, in my mind, you should have to do two years there. And if and I hear this a lot, why would I quit my um, corporate job and then risk it in a startup? Well, if you want to run your own business, it's going to be riskier anyway. But if that business fails, flops or bombs or goes under, that's the best learning you will ever get. Now you are more conditioned for how bad it can go wrong. So mad, isn't it? But yeah, these people are mad. Yeah. I used to, generally, it might sound horrible now. At first, I put this content out there to like help lots and lots of people. And that was my intention first. But then after I would start getting shit from these people, 
So which guru's advice do you recommend then? It's like you're asking the wrong questions, mate. Or I've spent seven grand, I've spent three grand with seven different gurus. Is this one the right one? Stop spending money with gurus. Like you're the problem there, not the eight gurus that have scammed you. How many times you have to get scammed before you realize it's not right or you're part of the problem? So it got yeah. frustrating actually that uh, making some of that content. So true. And I think, I mean, even in on the smaller scale, like looking now at, at the Balkans in this area, people right now started to produce courses, lots of uh, educational content. And, you know, everybody Listen, can create a if course. If everyone's making a course, who's who's buying them? Everyone's a course creator. Who are the course customers nowadays? Exactly. You know, oh, I don't think, and this is a misconception I get sometimes. I don't mm -hmm. think there's anything wrong with online training. Training's good. It teaches you actual skills that will benefit you. That's good. My old business used to make training materials for actual trainers to use in corporate businesses. Online training is a good tool if it's used as part of your learning, um, your learning formula. However, an online course isn't going to make you a millionaire or a billionaire. It might teach you one thing that then you have to put into practice and then do learning and experience and trial and error and all these different things. And there's lots of online training. That's good. Yes, you can learn a language online. There's loads of stuff where it suits the subject matter and it's targeted someone that wants to I get that. That was the problem with my content. I think some people then thought that all online training was a scam or I meant all online training was a scam. If anybody used the testimonial, it was a bad thing. No, real testimonials from real people that have got real results are a good way to um, um, promote your business. But if you're using a fake testimonial of someone that's never done your course to then sell someone a sub quality product to then achieve a goal that they've got absolutely no hope of achieving, that's bad. So the tactics aren't the problem if they're used ethically with real examples and they are promoting a product that actually is worth the value that you're saying it's worth and it's not over promising and under delivering. So there's, I was surprised that I had, that people couldn't make that, um, spot that difference or make that, um, couldn't think of that themselves. I've, I've lost my words now, but do you see what I mean? So that's the start thing I started to get a bit frustrated at. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, we're living in the, in the world when there is a, where there's a lot of demand. And it makes more people get into, into the marketing, into creating courses, all kind of stuff. Some of them are the beginners. Some of them are, you know, on the media level. Some are really experts. But, you know, for a average person, how will they find the difference? You know, because they are not, they don't know how to do the research. They don't know how to do those things. I mean, that's yeah, why know. my channel was good. So I did a thing where mm -hmm. I showed how a lot of, a lot of people selling uh, like scammers now, they actually um, create content around keywords like scam, frauds, um, con. So even when you search for those certain terms and you do your research, their videos and their content comes up. So it buries any bad news. So there's loads of, even with due diligence, but just think of it logically. Why? Would a stranger that you'd never heard of before suddenly appear on Facebook ads or YouTube ads and be willing to share with you a secret that no one else wants to tell you to make a million pounds or a million dollars in three months time for 97 dollars 
Now, if I knew something that would make me a million dollars in just three months doing it, I promise you what I wouldn't do is turn it into a course and then sell it to absolutely as many people as possible in the world. Because what I would be doing is turning customers into competitors. So if I made 10 million pounds a year from investing in property in Warrington, what I wouldn't do for nine pounds per person is host an event in Warrington, telling people how I find the properties, how I value the properties, how I get finance for the properties. I wouldn't do it. Why? Because I would just want to keep doing the thing that makes me money for as long as I could make money for. And I've got a strange feeling that if they want to help people, which is the, the thing that they always say, I, I'm giving back. I'm giving back. Who are they giving back to? They're giving back to basically people that are working nine to five. They're not giving back to the homeless or people that need help. They're giving people to anybody that's got two grand or access to a credit card. I don't think helping and giving back is the main motivator for them being stood there. And I've also got a strange feeling that they aren't making 10 million pounds a year from doing drop shipping or affiliate marketing or whatever it might be. But hey, what do I know? Yeah, I I'm mean, just a guy you, on YouTube. You, you motivated some people, you know, like a few of them said, and because I think we had a, a stop in the, in the Wi-Fi, we don't see the comments, but on LinkedIn, a couple of them said, you know, uh, you motivated them to unfuck and start creating the video content. Yeah. But it's, it's, I always say this, the easiest video content to make for your business. If you're sat there now and you think, what do I make content on? Just write down every time you're on a sales call or a call with a prospect or a call with an existing client, get a pen and paper out and any question they ask you, which either from a customer or prospect, any question they ask you, just write it down and then keep that list in front of you. And then when you do your next call, if the same question gets asked again, just put a tally by it and add any new ones. And then after about three or four days, you will have pretty clear the blockages that your ideal client has either got before they buy your product or your existing clients aren't sure on how to use your product. If you just make content that now answers those, you're doing two things. Number one, put that in the right place and you're removing objections from your ideal client before they ever speak to you. You're then giving value and stuff like that. So when they see it, you, you've already removed some of that. Like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, I was going to ask that next or whatever. So when they call you, the sales are easier. It's 90% done. They've already bought in. They like your face. They like how you sound. You've helped them already. Easy. But also, and this is the key point, you're now um, shortening the sales cycle. So you're getting money in better, uh, quicker, cash flows better. But also for your existing clients, you're now creating a bank of content that lets them use and understand your product better, which then means that your retention's higher because now they're, they're not thinking, well, I don't know how to use that. I can't be asked. It's almost like, oh, I've got this problem. Here's a video, con here's some video to explain it to me in 60 seconds, 90 seconds. So that's content you can make easily. And then when you're sending proposals or you're sending a follow-up email and you're referring to things that might be technical, especially in technical sales, or a technical product or difficult estate agent you might talk about return investment or yield and stuff like that and people might forget what that means because it's the first time they've ever bought you've got video content that explains those things to them do that and you are ahead of probably 95 percent of any of your competitors and you've now got content that's generating your business every single time somebody searches that question online and it's done all your marketing 
And that content gets used over and over again. So I've got a video, 7,000 views a day that I made in 2019. That video creates me so much business and so much additional revenue. I made it once, I get paid on it many times. If you're not doing that as a business, you need to speak to Iron Productions. Like, just speak to those guys because that's who makes all my content. It's the same team that makes my content that do that um, that make content for other people's businesses that do this stuff. Like, it's, it's not rocket science, but it will literally scale your your um, business, and it will mean that you are dealing with more qualified leads each day on stuff that you did a year ago. Now, flip side, nobody's searching for your look at us wearing our Halloween costumes in July. Nobody's looking for us. Look at Crazy Carol wearing a Christmas jumper in August and September. No, and that's why evergreen content is the most important part of your uh, marketing mix. Cool, post Crazy Carol, you know, wearing a crazy hat with some tents around the neck. You know, that might be funny, but it ain't making you money in July, August, September next year. So do both. Make sure it's well thought out, evergreen, lead generating, searchable, shareable, valuable content. Yeah, yeah. and I can I can say I can say basically the same. Uh, we did a little bit differently, but basically I, I decided to go into B2B by, by talking with more than 200 people and seeing, you know, there's a gap, there's a problem, we can address it. And then, you know, as I'm talking with clients on day-to-day -day conversations or on discovery calls, I see problems, I see solutions. Then I just write content about it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not only attracting the right clients, the right people that want to work with me, but also... It making the, the current clients say, hey, I saw that you did this with this and these companies. Maybe we can do it for, for us as well. So, so the exactly life cycle that. gets longer as well. It's exactly that. Nobody, nobody is shared in a WhatsApp group an advert for a business that's all about them. People share stuff that is that either answers a problem, solves a problem, or they see as valuable. So, you know. Bar the Budweiser frogs going Budweiser. I don't think anyone's shared an advert in my WhatsApp group that I'm in about different adverts. However, I know videos that someone sent. If someone's in the in the group and they might say, shit, like what do I need to sort out a mortgage? I've seen videos that companies have created passed into the group and it explains it all to them. Five things to get yourself mortgage, mortgage ready, for example. And that video will get shared over and over again because it's valuable and worth something. And what happens nine times out of 10, you go and check that person's uh, YouTube channel or account, you land on their account, then they've got other, other videos that answer other commonly asked questions, the same thought process you're going through. You've now three, four videos in, you've bought into this person, who are you going to get to sort your mortgage out? This guy, and you feel like you've discovered him as opposed to paid for ads, interrupts your day, boom. Do you want this thing that you didn't even know you needed? There's a, there's a huge difference between those two. Exactly. One is less views, but will more qualified and will convert a lot higher. The other one's just throw enough shit and hope that some sticks. Yeah, uh, but, but both have their place, by the way. But I know which one generates the most amount of money. It's just a longer game. Totally in my agree. experience, I might be I might be wrong. I might be 100% wrong in anything I say. These are just my views and opinions. 
No, I mean, look, I see it. You can do it in a, in a couple of different ways, but, you know, the channels and the things where people are looking for are the same. So, like, uh, for example, like this recording podcast, those kind of stuff. I mean, you can invite 50 or 100 your ideal clients and just get all the information from them. Yeah. Then you have the content. You can reshare it in different ways, repurpose it. You have relationship with the person. And basically, you know, you know which additional content you need to create to get their attention. Yeah. Yeah. But tell me, tell me a little bit more about, about the community that you guys have started and now growing. Yeah. So like what I used to get, especially because a lot of people knew about like all the questions you've basically asked me, I get asked that stuff all the time. You know, what did you do? How did you, how did you scale business? Who did you know who to sell to? What was the process you did for identifying potential buyers? How did you backwards plan your business? All these different things. What marketing did you use? You know, what guerrilla marketing tactics worked really well? I would mm -hmm. get asked the same. I would get asked the same questions all the time. And then, do you do mentoring? Do you do business consultancy? And the answer is no, because I'm too busy running my actual real life businesses rather than talking about that kind of stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, my job isn't telling other people how to run their business. My main job is running my actual businesses. So I thought how, and especially because I got banned from LinkedIn, where can I put this content where I can be open and honest about how I feel about all these things and give advice. So I started views on my own dot social. Um, so views on my own dot social with Dan Kelsall and guest experts. So we talk about our experience in startups. So between us, I think we've had like maybe nine, 10 startup businesses. Some wins, some absolute fuck-ups. We explain everything that we've learned um, during that, that time. Uh, we give weekly challenges on things that you should try. Uh, we find out, we get guest experts to come and share their experience with certain things. So I've got one at the moment about growing a YouTube channel. And I've got um, Beard Meets Food as a contributor to that episode. He's got nearly 2 million followers. We've got Paddy Galloway that's worked on some huge, some of the biggest names on YouTube. Uh, his account we've got roberto blake so we get people to share the actual inner workings that you possibly wouldn't be able to afford get to speak to or have access to um and we set weekly challenges that if you just do them weekly challenges and then short tips um if you just do them our only promises your business will get slightly better each week that's it so we're not promising that you'll get an eight million pound sale at the end of it in two and a half years like I did, because unfortunately, a part of that process, luck is included and nobody can guarantee luck. So I don't know how people make these claims, but that's what it is. It's a business community for proper grown up adults that are willing to try things, experiment and ask questions to help their business and get it answered by myself, Dan Kelsall and guest experts. Um, that would usually be a lot more than £15 a month, which is what it costs, or £150 a year. You wouldn't be able to get an hour of like someone's time for that. So getting a year's worth of content and stuff that will benefit your business from people that have actually achieved the thing that they're talking about, rather than, I think I know a way of scaling a business. I definitely know a way of scaling a business, and I'll also go and get four or five other people that have ex done the same thing to explain how they did it. So that's what it is. It's pretty good. We've got 120, 120 members um, in our paid community. We've got a Slack group. You can come and see us recording live. You 
can come to our events live. Um, it's going to be doing some live events next year. Um, and then it's also weekly emails and monthly video content. Sounds good. Sounds good. So uh, additional question to that. Do you also think, as I see lots of people talk these days on LinkedIn, on Twitter, that like uh, community-based marketing is like the next thing, that community is the one that, you know, that most businesses need to grow? Um, or, you know, or it's something that, you know, yeah, it's nice it's... to have, especially when before you actually start, my opinion is that community is great if you, you know, know your target audience, but you don't know yet the product, the service. It's great if you can first build the community, then come up with, you know, with a product, with services. Yeah, kind of stuff. either works. There's pros and cons to both, but, you know, build the community first, then sell stuff to them. I suppose that's one way of doing it. Other people try and sell to them and then build a community of raving fans off the back of it. Um, I've done both. Learning Heroes, we had the product before we built the community, but that community was so, so strong uh, because we give mm -hmm. so much value. Um, it was it was like a no-brainer in that industry at the time. So our community slash customers, it's a cliche, but they became fans and brand advocates. And um, so we had um, learning development managers that would move from job to job and had bought our products and put us into maybe three or four different businesses over the two and a half years. So um, it can work both ways, but having a engaged community and having people's attention that is the most important thing whether that's built first then you sell products to them or whether you sell a product that then you can build a community off the back having people's attention and then feeling part of something um and you sort of do things together you win together and you build up genuine relationships with those people that is a powerful tool if i hadn't have done that on linkedin i doubt i would have two thousand people that signed up for my free views of my own um, mailing list and i don't think I've, i'd have 120 paying clients before we've even really launched the product properly it only really launched properly last month and we already had nearly 100 people signed up before it launched paying they didn't even know what the content was going to be like and that's because of the value and expertise advice credibility and authority that i've built up the long hard way rather than just boom i'm an amazon best-selling author on crypto mining join my crypto mining community you know that's the wrong way and i think if it's easy come easy go i've put the hard hours in and the hard yards to build my community so um i think that's why it works yeah uh man great conversations um tell me one thing that people can take away from the episode one thing that people can take away from this episode um Never sign a non-disclosure agreement or um, with Netflix to let them use your content or <laughs> intellectual property because they will fuck you. That's yeah. my one tip for any aspiring, I want to be on Netflix, people watching this. It's interesting because right but, now we have, I think, the, the first Serbian movie. Thanks. They did give me a special thanks. So I am on there for one second. You wait <laughs> to the very end and I think you might be able to see me between the coming up next episodes. Um, thumbnails I've got at the end. If you squint, you can just see special thanks to Mike Winnett and Ian Darlington, who is my business partner in Iron Productions, who, if you like what I've said about content marketing, videos and animation, is who I would definitely recommend uh, using because they make me look good. You know, they put some gloss on my chin. 
they're the guys. <laughs> nice. So. Nice. So, guys, uh, I guess what I can say you uh, at the end is, you know, now is the time to get back to the to the start of this episode. Listen to everything again. Go through. So nice good. You should listen to it twice. It's layered. You'll learn things more the second time. Do it. Yeah, it's always like that. Then go to his uh, YouTube channels, connect with him on Twitter, and also join the Views Are My Own. Views Are My Own social if you want some real business talk from sweary, tattooed northerners that might, if you can be asked doing the work, improve your business a tiny little bit. Not much of a... Uh, to join when I when I find time later this month as well because I think Brilliant. it's gonna be a great experience. Uh, man, thanks again for for being here for uh, spending an hour with me and the audience, right. sharing your experience, knowledge, and everything. And uh, you know, I hope uh, we'll have you again in a couple of months to to see how the community is developing, how everything is. I'll tell you how it all went wrong, and I'm back to work in the nine to five. I, I think that's. You know, that's something that uh, we are all doomed to at one point if uh, if we decide to go and leave aside everything that we, you know, that we are built of. Because I don't think I can ever go back to work from nine to five. I don't know about you, but I try to think about it and I'm like, man, I'm unemployable at this moment. Well, I think, I think most it. entrepreneurs, if they're honest, the reason why they're entrepreneurs and keep starting up their own business is because they, they are unemployable. As much as they like to think that they're some sort of special person that's above everybody else, the reality of an absolute fuckwit that's difficult to manage, that's probably the reality for 90% yeah. of them. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a good end. Uh, guys, uh, one thing that I can say for the end, and we always say it is, uh keep it funky mike thanks again and see you on twitter see you soon thanks for having me